I'm Chris Reback. This is The 180, our podcast that explores how to transform 21st century education, how to turn it around using 21st century science. Today, we continue our conversation with Ron Berger and Lena Cox. Ron is Chief Academic Officer for EL Education, which guides a network of over 150 public schools in more than 30 states, helping build schools in low-income communities that send all graduates to college through high student achievement, character, and citizenship, while also building teacher capacity through professional coaching, resources, and open-source curriculum. Lena is one of those educators and administrators who brings the vision to life as principal at Capital City Public Charter Middle School in Washington, D.C. In fact, today's conversation focuses even more in-depth on what exactly that means in Lena's school. Literally, how do they do it? Ron and Lena also take on the question more broadly, looking at learning in America today and addressing some of the broader social questions of how learning can and should work in the face of a pandemic, social unrest, and more. Before our conversation, though, an ask from me to you. If you like our 180 conversations, I'd appreciate it if you take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. It makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. Thank you. Here's my conversation with Ron Berger and Lena Cox. Why are you so bought into and believing in the approach that you've been describing? We are pressured in schools to prioritize academics over character and to not look at it as a blending of both pieces need to happen in order for us to successfully educate a child. Test scores are being pitted against character and social emotional learning, but we need both to produce strong future citizens. And, you know, I think it's ironic that we're seeing firsthand in this pandemic with school buildings closed, because school isn't closed. School is still very much in session. Our buildings are just closed. But how our students are handling this shift, how they're choosing to engage, we have to look at their well-being and their social-emotional health. And it's, it's, it's even more proof of why school should never just be about test scores. It's so much more. Um, and interestingly to me, so much of the argument that I feel like I've heard around wanting schools to reopen um, and about what students are missing isn't only about the academics. People are talking about schools needing to be reopened because of the social piece, the connection, the character building, the engaging with other children, the, you know, all of those other in any other time, what would be quote unquote other, they would be put into a different pot. Um, but now it is everyone is really understanding what schools should be about. It took a global pandemic for people to see what we've been trying to say all along, that you have to focus on the whole child, their mind, their emotion, their social well-being, and be educating them academically and all of that all at the same time. It's not one or the other. Ron, is, is Lena right? Is she bringing to life in her school uh, what you meant to build as part of uh, EL education? Chris, Lena said that just beautifully. It is everything we believe, and Capital City um, Public Charter is as good an instantiation of that as any school I know. Uh, they do that beautifully there. And I think, Chris, this what Lena is saying is really just common sense for every parent. 
Like a child is not going to do well in school if she doesn't care, if she doesn't feel purpose and motivation for her work. So it's a, it's a precondition for kids succeeding academically that they feel that something is meaningful that they're doing, that there's a reason for their work, that they, they're excited about it, they want to put themselves in it. And I think what distinguishes a school like Lena's is the fact that kids are going to be self-directed about their work because their work matters to them, because they want to do a good job. It's not just about being obedient. It's not just about preparing for a test. It's about doing work that they're proud of and doing work that's of high quality that they're going to share publicly through their student-led conferences and their passage presentations, these presentations of learning for the public. We want kids to feel like there's a reason for the work that they do that's beyond themselves, and they're going to, they're going to be motivated because they care to show it to others. Ron, your comment a moment ago was, we need her to care, that, that the point of education, I'm paraphrasing, is for the, the student to care and, and to go from there. And, you know, congratulations to you. You've, you've been part of an environment where you've been able to help see that come to light because you've been part of a team that's helped design that and you've gotten to work with people like Lena. But my guess is you care not only about your own environment, but you probably care about this whole country. And frankly, you probably care about this whole world. Um, what's your feeling about where we are as a society in terms of education? Well, Chris, I think things go in waves. They sort of go one direction and then another direction. You can see that politically, I think, in this country of, of sort of things swing one direction and then there's a backlash and they swing the other direction. I think I feel like we as a nation, when I started in education, which was mid-70s, there was a big push for project-based and character-infused and art-infused learning. In the 90s, things really shifted with No Child Left Behind to a very sharp focus on tests and accountability. Mm. And I think as a nation, we thought for all good reasons, like for reasons of equity, for reasons of excellence, we put all our eggs in one basket, which was if we test kids enough and we hold schools accountable enough for test scores in two subjects, literacy and mathematics, that's the answer to improving our schools. And from 1995 to about 2010, that was the dominant vision in America. If we have high accountability, it will work. And I'll tell you, accountability is a good thing because there are many schools, especially schools serving uh, communities that were underserved, often black and brown communities, that all of a sudden there was a bright light on the low quality of those schools because of the accountability. So I don't think accountability is a bad thing, but accountability alone does nothing. Like Accountability doesn't create the learning experiences for kids. And we didn't invest equally into getting better learning experiences for kids and developing staff more, more deeply. And so, I mean, at the same time as we were digging deeply into accountability, there were other nations like Finland and, and Singapore and places that were deeply investing in teachers and in, mm. in making the teacher development a stronger program. And the United States has really advanced not at all internationally in terms of things like the PISA testing. We, we have not made progress. And this investment in accountability only has really shown to be a failure. We, um, even on our own NAEP scores, our national assessments, that, that the only assessments we use that cross all states, we've really made no progress. 
in the last 10 years. And so I think people are seeing accountability is one tool, but it's not enough. So we have to invest more in creating rich educational experiences for kids in an equitable way across all schools and invest more in teachers and in school leaders. Because investing in one thing, which is high-stakes accountability, didn't work for us as a nation. And so I think there's actually a moment now where we're swinging back to more rich educational experiences for kids, more project-based learning, more public presentations of learning by kids. And I think the COVID crisis is actually going to accelerate people's understanding of exactly what Lena described so beautifully, which is that you can't separate student character from student academic success because their academic success is predicated on things like their personal courage and their personal commitment to collaborate and to take risks and to have a growth mindset. Students will only succeed with the right character strengths. So it's a false choice, as Lena said, and I think people are becoming aware we have to look at the whole child right now. And I think there's a movement across America now back to looking at, as all parents do at the whole child. We'll hear more about those influences in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about another podcast that I think you should check out, called Notes from the Backpack. It's brought to you by National PTA and hosted by Helen Westmoreland and Lawanda Tony. Helen heads PTA's Center for Family Engagement and has a two-year-old daughter. Lawanda is PTA's Director of Communications and has a seven-year-old son. Together, in each episode of Notes from the Backpack, they invite an expert to the show and address a topic related to children's learning, development, and success in and out of school. This season, they're tackling questions we need to know the answers to. How do I choose online resources that will actually support my kids during school closures? How can I help my child get the assistance they need to thrive right now? And how do I talk with my kids about some of the bigger issues of 2020, like racial justice and the election? Notes from the Backpack has listeners in every state and in more than 55 countries. If you're not already listening, you should be. Check out Notes from the Backpack wherever you listen to podcasts or at notesfromthebackpack.com. Now back to our conversation. To close out, I'm curious, your point, Ron, about experience and your point about character, um, there were items in both of your backgrounds that struck me, um, and I'm just interested in, in you know, in, in you as as individuals and, and the influences. Um, Lena, I mean, among the many, many, many things that uh, that are so interesting, fascinating about your background and the things that you've done, um, I couldn't help but notice that uh, you seemed uh, somewhat proud of the Alpha Kappa Alpha experience. What What role did that play for you? And am I maybe overstating it? And there's some other experience that um, that, that was particularly meaningful for you. I'm sure there are many, many, of course. <laughs> no, you're definitely not overstating that, um, you know, that commitment and that, um, the passion that I have, um, for my sorority. And, you know, when you are a member, um, of, of a sorority of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, you are a lifetime member. So this is a commitment that um, we chose in college and, and that we chose to, um, you know, be taught and, and seen um, and continue on the legacy of strong women and strong black women. Um, and it's a commitment that you make that you make for life. It's a sisterhood that you become a part of for life. 
Um, and we are obviously extremely proud of, you know, all of our members who continue to have civic engagement and be leaders in whatever field, um, whatever field they're in. And for me, just because of my background, um, where, you know, I attended a um, predominantly white private school in New Haven, Connecticut, um, for high school and just some of the experiences that I had in dealing with racism and classism, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend Spelman College um, in Atlanta and be given the opportunity to be um, in a space where I, where my, um, my growth was nurtured, where Ron named the piece earlier around, you know, uh, caring about what you were doing and what you were learning and who was standing in front of you and what they were teaching you and what they were telling you. And those that type of experience, along with then, you know, um, joining a sorority like Alpha Kappa Alpha, um, it, it just continues to build on a kind of foundation for me of my identity, who I am as a black woman in this country, um, how I am as a leader um, in a in a school of students who look like me, how I want to be for them, how I want to show up for them. And the experiences that you have in a in a sorority or in a college, in, in a historically black college specifically, um, those are the types of things that guide me during my darkest times. Um, and that got, and that give me the, you know, the quality, um, that gave me the quality of an education that allows me to now pass that on to my students and to the teachers in my building. It speaks to the sense of community that you are talking about, um, the importance of, uh, in your school and, and in, in all of the schools. And Ron, to close out, are you still a carpenter? Um, I wish I were doing it a lot more than I am, but um, I am living in a house I built with my own hands. I'm still, um, for my wife's birthday, I built her a bookcase. I mean, I'm still trying to keep my craftsmanship up. Uh, I, I would just want to say, though, to build for a moment, Chris, on Lena's comment that please, when, when we talk about crew, we're not just talking about an advisory structure, right? We're talking about a culture, a, a sisterhood, a brotherhood that one feels in a school and in a broader community. Like my whole career, I have met strong black women that were sisters of Lena in her, from her fraternity, her sorority and people I admire. And I think Lena is in a school right now with three black women as principals. And I just feel like that kind of sisterhood, that kind of commitment to making the world better is it's so important right now. And, you know, I'll just say I'm an old white guy and <laughs> I feel like old white guys have messed up the world a lot. When I go into a school like Capital City with three black women leading it, I think it's about time we have black women leading things because they could only do a better job than people like me have done. So I, I'm just celebrating Lena's sense of sisterhood in her sorority and how important that is. Yeah, my commitment to craftsmanship did come from the fact that I was a carpenter for 25 years, uh, which was just a necessity for me. I, I was a rural public school teacher making not enough money to live on. So I built homes and re remodeled homes for 25 years in addition to teaching. And um, 
I'm still proud to have some beautiful homes and furniture and things that I built here in my own community. And when I get the time, I still love to be working with wood because it's a, a lot more tangible and solid than, than working in education. When you work in education, you're worried that every advance you make might crumble if things fall apart. And when I build things, I think that's probably going to last a long time. <laughs> so it's a different kind of security. I, I'm, I'm sure you are not overselling your craftsmanship in terms of wood, but I bet you are underselling your craftsmanship in terms of what I know it's not lost on you, um, the important other things that you have built in your life, um, which is to say uh, kids and students, and uh, it sounds like a whole community, and uh, I'm sure you take as much pride in that, maybe even a little bit more than you take in the wonderful bookshelf that you built for your wife. Ron, Lena, thank you both so much for your time. Um, thank you, obviously, for the work that you have done and continue to do. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thanks for hosting us. And uh, thanks for pairing me with Lena Cox. Like, What a <laughs> dream team to get to be in an interview with. So, Lena, thanks for joining. Yes, that is a mutual feeling, Ron. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both. That was my conversation with Ron Berger and Lena Cox. My thanks to Ron and Lena for joining and you for listening. To learn more about how to transform 21st century education using 21st century science, go to turnaroundusa.org. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon. Mm-hmm.